Welcome back to the Sofa Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Jewell, joined again by my best friend, co-host, roommate, Reed Dank. Reed, how are you doing today? Oh, I got like the full treatment that time. I, I don't think I ever got like a more, I don't know, how would I say a well-respected intro than that? That's cool. <laughs> I feel like I'm a part of something. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the big stories of week three in the NFL, and then we are going to be introducing a new segment called What's Poppin', What's Floppin'. Let's get into it. First game we wanted to preview from week three, Lions-Vikings. Lions lose a tough one, 28-24 against the Vikings. Reed, I'll let you kick this one off. Yeah, I don't know what more there is to say besides it sucked. The outcome of that game sucked. Um, I think as a whole, we played the more dominant team up until the last, you know, 15 minutes of the fourth quarter, I'd say we were the more dominant team over Minnesota. I think Minnesota fans saw that. For the first time in a long time, we really had them on the ropes for a good amount of time. There's a couple things to dissect here. And and, and the biggest thing is our offense really did its job um, up until the fourth quarter. Our offense played great those first three quarters, had a bit of a scare with Amon Ra. Thankfully, the news is rather good. Not a big injury at all we took against Minnesota. Not a bad problem. Unfortunately, we just read reports today that Tracy Walker is out for the season. Um, I don't think there's much of him coming back, and if he does, it's probably one of the last games of the season, and then that would have been a great outcome. The real big takeaway here was coaching woes uh, for starters. Clock management in the last eight minutes of the game for uh, for the Lions coaches was abysmal. It was pathetic. It was weak. It was soft, um, and that's what led us to that loss. Realistically, that was not on the Lions doing more so the Lions coaching. Uh, it was pathetic how you let, you know, a lot of those plays go by. Uh, one of the biggest controversies was Jared Goff not going for it, uh, leading to the missed kick by Austin Siebert with about, I'd say, three or four minutes left. Um, that was pathetic play call, how Jared Goff didn't step in and say, hey, going to take this on fourth down. We converted five times prior. How he doesn't take the ball, that was pretty weak on Jared Goff's part two. I think you just tell your coach off in that scenario. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes. <clears throat> Andy Reid's asking Patrick Mahomes what to do. You know what I mean? Uh, Josh Allen is probably talking to Ma- uh, you know, McDermott and telling McDermott, hey, this is what we should do. I think now we're almost getting to that point where I'm sure with Tua and the Dolphins coaching staff, he could probably just about tell them off too. I think it's pretty uncool of golf to not step in and say, hey, we've converted five times already. Let's not. Why would we not try and go for six? You know what I mean? And let's say we did miss it, right? We'd be in the same exact spot that we were in this end of this game. And if we make it, then that probably ices the game right there. Moral of the story is that that was eight different ways the Lions decided to shoot themselves in their own foot. We talked a lot about the Lions in the preseason. And from last season, we've seen a huge improvement. Just through the first three weeks, the Lions are averaging almost 10 more points per game than through three weeks last year. And I think that Jared Goff is just starting to show us that he can play well. With this Lions offense, they obviously fell a little bit short in a tough divisional matchup against the Vikings. But I think one of the biggest stories coming from this is that Jeffrey Okuda is starting to play how everyone expected him to. Through three weeks, he has only let up 108 yards. Last season, he played one game. He let up 109 yards, which is just a crazy stat, I think, just to show how much improvement he's had. And obviously he was injured last year, so you can't really say how he was going to do last year after just one game. But 
to only let up 108 yards in the first three games, I think is a really optimistic thing for Lions fans. He kept Devonta Smith to zero catches in week one, Terry McLaurin to two catches, and then this past week, Justin Jefferson to just three catches for 14 yards. So he's doing his job back there, and I think that's something that Lions fans have to be super excited about. And we were optimistic for them going into the season, and I think that they're starting to show that some of those pieces are coming together, and they're starting to look like more of a complete team that can win some games. The Seahawks for us next week are a big game. This is a proving game. Can we get past a team that, while does not have a great quarterback system, decent running backs, and decent wide receivers, can we shut them down? This Vikings game told me a decent amount. It doesn't tell the whole story because we have the Vikes again, so it doesn't tell me everything I need to know. But it told me a lot about how we still are struggling in defensive areas. I did not see Aiden Hutchinson do one big thing, i.e. a sack, a deflection, a big-time tackle. I didn't see any of that from him. We knew going in he was questionable. Very surprised that Dan decided to play him. But injured or not, Hutchinson has to do something. I don't even care if he gets a sack. Here's what I will say. That offense, when it's going, it's going. And if we can find a way to tailor-make this defense a little more capable and man cover and a little more tenacious with our zone coverage, I think that we could be very capable. But the way that I saw us time manage in that fourth quarter shows me we still have a lot to do with our coaching staff. It is still a very, very, very young coaching staff. I, I can't say enough how upset I am at Jared Goff for not going for it instead of having Siebert kick it from about the same spot that Greg Joseph missed twice. I had a feeling that was going to end the way it did. As much as I don't want to say that, why do you not go for it fourth and three? Yeah, it came down to a couple little things, I feel like. From what I saw, the Lions had some control. They had some momentum. They were making plays. And then at the end, a couple bad decisions. And obviously, they were not able to close it out. I think that this is something that hopefully as the season goes on, they will be able to figure out because their division is pretty much wide open at this point. The Vikings aren't a scary team. I believe that everyone in their division is 2-1, except the Lions are 1-2. and two, So the division's wide open. There's plenty of football left to well, go. Well, the, the Bears are going to fizzle off, too. This, yeah, this streaky yeah. thing that they're doing, I don't think that lasts very long. I mean, I think you're right. I think that by the end of the season, the Bears, what they're doing right now isn't going to sustain through the rest of the season. So I think it comes down to can the Lions, you know, get some wins, maybe make a wild card, maybe somehow take this division because – who knows with the Packers? I mean, well, their defense is good. They have a great quarterback, but they're really relying on their running backs here. Yeah. Packers this week have the Patriots. Vikings play the Saints. So, I mean, the way that games have been going this year, every team in that division could be 2-2 two and two by the end of week four. You know, I mean, who knows? It's just kind of a crazy season. Next up, Ravens at Patriots. I will go ahead and kick this one off. The Ravens got back in the win column after a wild game against the Patriots. They had some injuries, a couple early struggles on defense, but came out with a win. They forced four turnovers in the second half, three being in the fourth quarter to seal the game. Defense was letting the Patriots run it up the middle of the field for what felt like 10 yards on every play in the beginning of the game. Uh, and then after injuries to two defensive starters, Justin Houston and Michael Pierce, 
it was kind of looking like deja vu from last season and from last week against the Dolphins, but it wasn't. Mike McDonald's defense showed up in the second half, and they showed what people expect Baltimore's defense to do. Everyone expects Baltimore's defense to be in the top 10 most years, but this year and probably last year as well, they have not been showing that, but they were able to close out the game. It's not always going to be three turnovers in the fourth quarter to close out the game, but the Ravens' defense definitely picked it up, and they started to look strong. The Patriots, by the fourth quarter, had no momentum, and on top of that, at the end of the game, Mac Jones got injured after throwing an interception to Marcus Peters. The reports say it's a severe high ankle sprain, which means we won't see him for probably a month, if not more. Um, hoping for a speedy recovery from Mac. Probably puts Brian Hoyer in against the Packers, which we just talked about. But um, Mac Jones did throw for over 300 yards and played a great two and a half, three quarters for the Patriots. But with no touchdown passes and three interceptions, it's hard to win a game like that. One of the biggest plays for me was he made that great throw. It was towards the end of the fourth quarter. Nelson Aguilar runs for 30 yards. Then all of a sudden, first round pick, Kyle Hamilton punched that ball out. Marcus Peters dove on it right right at the sideline, and I was going nuts. So it was a great day, great day for Ravens fans. And just to see the defense be able to come, come in at the end and really just show what they're able to do, it was very encouraging. What did you think about this game, Reed? This was one of the few times I, I just genuinely didn't feel concerned for you guys. I knew that there were plays that happened. Yeah, they benefited the Patriots. But in the totality of things, Baltimore's defense really came out and decided to fall out for the most part. Yeah, do you give up, you know, 26 points? Sure. Okay. In the grander scheme of things, that's a, that's a pretty good offense. It didn't show it last week against the Steelers. Because let's be honest, the Steelers will get to you defensively. But even then, you know, the, the Pats still pulled out that win against the Steelers. They still did that. I, I didn't feel concerned for Lamar. I thought that, that your guys' defensive scheme was perfect against the Patriots. Um, I thought that your boy Hamilton, he played fantastic. I thought there were three or four covers. Yeah, weren't the greatest. The cornerbacks, I can't remember who of them it was in the kind of left side of the field cornerback. Either way, it looks like it's a it's an absolute dot going towards, I think it was Aguilar. Or either that or either him or Henry. One of the two of them reached the corner of the end zone and he reaches his hand behind his back, doesn't see the the football at all. Oh yeah. But swipes it away and saves what's a near touchdown, punches it out of his hand and it just falls to the ground and, and that saves a touchdown right there, which what that makes it uh, if you add it up, that would make it a 37-31 game if you add the yeah. totals up. But Which, let's say let's say you don't get the touchdown. No, I mean that could have drastically changed the game. It was I'm pretty sure it was Brandon Stevens that made that play. It looked like it looked like a touchdown. It felt like slow motion as a Ravens fan, and it just seemed like that was that, that was a touchdown for sure. And then out of nowhere, puts his hand out, blocks that thing, and he frustrates me so much because normally he's not the guy to do that. But you reminded me of that. It seems like every player in the secondary made a play, had an interception, forced a fumble. I mean, they were just kind of rolling today. That's a, that's a fantastic way to put it. There was a contribution from what seemed like everybody. I thought somebody made a play. And, and, and mind you, it was I didn't see as much as you did. But 
it seemed like everyone did their job. Good enough to the point where it got past a team that still feels top-heavy. I'm not one of those guys who's like, immediately I hate the, the Patriots. I don't have much to say just because there's not much of a rivalry there with them. Listen, Matt Jones, that, that's awful. I hope he comes back super quick. And if he comes back 100%, because you don't want to see people who are talented and still go out. But now the Pats are going to see a setback. This is a setback moment. Yeah. Can, can you do it without, you know, without your number one guy? And I think, what is it, Hoyer yep. is, is still the intended backup and doesn't seem like they're interested in, in moving people. Like, you know, you guys just really showed out. And I thought Mark Andrews, this was like, this was Mark Andrews's kind of game where I felt like he was the most dialed in. Mind you, we're only three games in, so we could probably find two or three more games where you say, oh, he was much more dialed in this game. This was his first dialed in game of the year. Yeah, he played, he played so good. Two touchdown catches, and he just looked like the all pro that he is. He just, he really balled out. And last thing that I'll say about the Ravens is Lamar, have to touch on him a little bit. When the Ravens got the ball back at the end of the game after the fumble that Marcus Peters recovered, Lamar drove the ball down the field, looking like the MVP that he is. The Ravens scored and basically put the game away at that point. That's what the Ravens are looking for. That's what they need out of Lamar, and he delivered. I think he's got to be up there at the top for the MVP conversation now. I know it's early, but it's fun to talk about. For sure. The next game we're going to talk about, Jags beat the Chargers. This one absolutely stunned me. But shout out to Doug Peterson. He has the Jags up to two wins through three weeks. Who would have thought that the Jags would beat the Chargers? Well, maybe when you have a head coach, as in last year, that doesn't usually work out too well. He's not. I don't think that's a coach that's very dialed in on the team. Doug Peterson's dialed in on this football team. <laughs> Listen, I, I can go mounds and mounds ahead of what I've just said about how much I hate Urban Meyer and everything he stands for, and just the person he is, I just hate him. I think that Peterson is a great fit for Jacksonville. He's a culture changer guy. He changed the culture in Philly, and look where that got. That got him a ring, and now he's a versatile quarterback who actually you know wants to play and is so capable of playing. And now these running backs, James Robinson, dude, he's finding his way again. Robinson and Etienne are, are finding their way. It's so unbelievable that he's using them correctly. And, and this was the first real time. Now, mind you, I think that there is an ongoing problem with Justin Herbert. I think he genuinely was playing through an injury. Despite that, still threw for nearly 300 passing yards, Herbert, and only had one TD and one pick. I think that whole Chargers team looked flat, and I think that the Jaguars took full advantage of that. The Charger lock, locker room is really banged up. And the Jaguars, like I just said, took full advantage of it. Yeah, I'm sure the Chargers were, they expected to win this game. But for the Jags to beat them 38-10, to me, as much as we talked about the Chargers before the season and how good they were going to be with all these offseason additions and Justin Herbert, his rise, for the Jags to beat the Chargers 38-10, it's just absolutely stunning. They only won... Three games in 2021, they're already at two wins. I think that this is a whole new Jags team that we're seeing, and I think that every player on that team has just absolutely turned their mentality around, and they know that they can go in and win games, especially after doing something like this to the Chargers. I think the Jags now are one of the teams on your schedule that 
you can't just check off as a win. You might even be a little bit nervous because you know that they're going to come out and after seeing what they did to the Chargers, who knows what's next? I mean, they could be in the, they could be in the playoffs. I don't know if I go as far as the division winners that that division's a little a little crazy anyway, but they could get a wild card spot. I'll give you one cool kind of interesting thing to think about before we move on to the next game. Trevor Lawrence, anyone who wants to say, hey, listen, this isn't quite the same. He is six in one this year in the in the regular season. Six TDs to one interception. He looked fantastic against the Chargers. And anyone who just disaligned that idea is wrong. He threw for three touchdowns. He didn't get picked. The Chargers defense almost felt absent-minded. There was a total lapse. I, anyone who says that they called this, I, I'm going to do it. I'm all credit in the world to you because I did not see that coming at all. A slaughter. It wasn't even close. No, I would have to say that most people probably bet on the Chargers here. Everybody assumed the Chargers were going to win. And for the Jags to just come out and take care of business now, they're at the top of their division at 2-1. and one. The Colts are 1-1-1. One, one and one. Titans 1-2. and two and Texans still looking for a win. I mean, the division's wide open. I still think that the Colts and the Titans, you know, bounce back and get some wins. But the division's wide open. We'll just have to see. But Trevor Lawrence is starting to look like what we expected him to out of college. The Monday night game this week was a good one. The Cowboys were without Dak Prescott, and they had Cooper Rush at the helm. The Cowboys beat the Giants 23-16. to Cooper Rush had a pretty good game, game manager, I would say, 215 yards and one touchdown, but the running backs carried it the rest of the way. This is what Jerry Jones and probably every Cowboy fan wants to see. Tony Pollard went for 105 yards, and Zeke went for 73 and a touchdown. That's fantastic production from your running backs. I mean, Tony Pollard averaged 8.1 yards per carry, so I mean, they're making it really easy on Rush here, and... On top of that, the Cowboys' defense made it tough on Daniel Jones. It looked like he was getting pressured every play, and they had five sacks on him. Seemed kind of like the Giants never had a chance in this one, to be honest. What did you think about this one? It was it was kind of a fun battle to watch. You know, I, I never felt that one play would have led to another team losing until really that fourth quarter where I, I just – I thought the Giants in the fourth quarter just didn't have an answer to the Cowboys. I mean, they looked flat-footed, they looked fatigued. Yeah. They, they didn't – They didn't. there was no counter. The Cowboys at that point just took over. Saquon in the first half, amazing. Looked fantastic. Pretty much carried that whole team. Let's be honest with each other here. I, I thought Jones looked okay. I thought Jones looked okay. Yeah. Uh, somehow Cooper Rush to me felt like he looked better. And just, just being honest, he just did look better. I'll, I'll give Coop some credit. It didn't look like he was completely throwing, you know, didn't look like he was throwing dots. Also, didn't look like he was just, you know, throwing Peterman passes. I thought he did fine. I thought Lamb did really good. But Lamb played fantastic. Zeke and Pollard split touches, and that worked really well for them. Um, I think Pollard, what he averaged, about eight yards a carry, and Zeke about five. Yep, which is... Amazing credit to that Dallas offensive line for sure because they couldn't have done it without them. And to have two running backs do that, I mean, that's a recipe to a win right there. Especially when your your number one franchise quarterback is out injured. 
when your running backs can do that, then I mean, they can they can do that. I think because they played a Giants team that is they're not necessarily banged up to the point where they can't play, but they're banged up to the point where it's noticeable, and they took advantage of that in some small regards. And like like you just said, Dallas's O line really strong, really top heavy. They they have been for a long time. This is kind of their theme. They have a good O line, but when their O line can go down, then that whole ship sinks. I have to admit that this past week I had a crazy thought. My expectation was a breakout game for Kenny Galladay. Obviously, it's been noted that he's not been getting the touches that he wanted, but it sounded like he had a really good week of practice and maybe they were going to incorporate him more. And there were also talks about trades for him, which would also help his stock. If he could go to a new team, get a fresh start, and maybe that would help him out. Obviously, he has a massive contract, so I don't know if anybody's going to want to take that on. But I was really optimistic for him and thought that maybe this would be breakout game or, or maybe a game that somebody would say, oh, we'd like him on our team, we'll trade for him. But after this week, I was very wrong. He had three targets, no receptions. I... Don't know how this can get any worse for Kenny Galladay. Nobody is going to want to trade for him. But maybe I was just a week too early in terms of being excited for Kenny Galladay, only because at the end of the game, Sterling Shepard tore his ACL on a non-contact injury. I feel really bad for Sterling Shepard because it was the end of the game. They were probably going to lose, and he was just running straight down the field, and that turf got him, I think, that. OBJ tweeted out about it, that every stadium should be grass. They need to invest in grass instead of uh, instead of turf. But we can't go back now, and that might leave room for more targets for Kenny Galladay. I don't know. It's a massive contract for him to have three tar- only three targets. Obviously, he had a couple chances at catches and then dropped them all. So it's kind of a tough situation for the Giants here. Today, we're introducing a new segment on the Sofa Sports Podcast called What's Poppin', What's Floppin'. In this segment, we're going to go through a couple things that happened over the weekend that are poppin' and a couple things that are floppin'. Me and Reed each have five of these. I'm going to kick it off with my first one. My first What's Poppin' is the Philadelphia Eagles. They beat the Commanders on Sunday, improving to 3-0. Jalen Hurts is playing fantastic. A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith are showing that they might be the best one-two punch at wide receiver this season. I think that this team has a chance to go far in the playoffs, if not all the way. And this is definitely one of those teams that I see that I would not want to play against. Well, I mean, I think the King is officially bad. I think Derrick Henry is starting to find that stride and leverage he has over many other running backs in the league again. He took... Full advantage of a Raider defense that feels super weak and has never been this weak in a long, like in a long time. This Raider defense, pretty brutal. Took full advantage of that. Teed off on him. I think he got something to the effect of a touchdown with big yardage or two touchdowns. Can't recall. It feels like Derrick Henry is back, back. I, I think if we give it one or two more weeks. Of solid production, I think we all are like, okay, well, you know, Henry's finally back, and now every NFL team that has to play the Titans has to strategize against him. They're one and two right now, the Titans, but that doesn't matter if you have one of the most powerful running backs in the league. 
I think you can just kind of ride that hot hand. Yeah, I think that Derrick Henry kind of always takes a minute to get warmed up, but once he hits his stride, he's there. Yeah, he's scary to play against for sure. My first what's flopping belongs to the injury bug that has officially hit the Ravens. They had three starters go down in Sunday's game that did not return. Justin Houston, Michael Pierce, and Patrick McCarry. And had already put four guys on IR after the first two weeks, three of them because of ACL injuries. For those of you that don't know, Patrick McCarry is the sixth man to that line. He can play any position, center, guard, whatever it is. Um, so when the second string left tackle, Juwan James, got hurt, he was ready to hop in, making Patrick McCarry the third string. When he got hurt, the Ravens had to put in fourth-round pick Daniel Falali, his first NFL action, and on the opposite side of the line, and he was used to playing in college, protecting Lamar's blind spot. Took him a while to settle in, but once he got his footing, he started to figure out. The Ravens hoped that all-pro Ronnie Stanley can make his first start Sunday against the Bills, but we will continue to see his progress, and if not, it's going to be the rookie starting on Lamar's blind side. I mean, who knows what will happen here, but... It's just really unfortunate after all the injuries that were so well documented last year for the Ravens, their big defensive starters. And then at the end of the year, Lamar going out with injury and both their running backs. It was great to see JK out there for the first time, but it does seem that the injury bug is hitting Baltimore and hopefully it doesn't stay long. Well, my first flop is pretty understandable and a single lot of player. Isaiah McKenzie, man. Wow. Like, just wow. I understand the idea or notion of don't step out, keep the clock running, keep possession going. No, in that situation, you don't. You immediately step out. There's no there's no way around it. Mackenzie looks, looks like a scrub to his teammates and the staff. I mean, no, nobody. <laughs> After you make a mistake like that, no one's going to look at you and be like, ah, you know, yeah, I'll patch you in the back. But that game... That game might have completely dropped him a whole spot in the wide receiver depth chart. That that might be a decision that puts Crowder over him. And that might inevitably set the Bills back. It's not do or die for the Bills, because we we all know that that's, that's a team that's going to go off and win, you know, 13 more games. Fine, I get that. But McKenzie, you look, you look so bad from that decision there. That is such a big lapse in judgment. It's... It's almost on the magnitude of, you know, when you, in baseball, when you have an easy fielding play, but you just can't get it done because, you know, you're so tense in the moment. And that wasn't even like a be tense in the moment. It's like, no, just step out. <laughs> it's like, move your, move your feet three inches and step out of bounds. I think everybody at home, even non-Bills fans, were watching that and yelling at the TV, go out of bounds. What are you doing? Because it just seemed so obvious they had no timeouts. No, um, do you remember any of when the Cavaliers and Warriors were playing and J.R. Smith should pass the ball? <laughs> and then LeBron's like, what are you doing? It was like one of those moments. It's like, step out of bounds. What are you doing? Step up. So, I know, I, I was yelling at the TV too. I think as many people should step out. No, I, I didn't even know who to root for in that game, but I was still, oh. I was still yelling like, <laughs> like, how do you not see that? My second what's popping goes out to Trevor Lawrence. This man is balling this year. The improvement from year one to year two is absolutely amazing. And I love seeing him play well. Out of college, he was such a big name. Everybody expected such great things from him. And now 
this is all what we wanted to see. This is all what we expected from him. Um, I love it for Jags fans because of everything that they have been through last season. And then even just the last couple of years in general with losing seasons and it's been rough for them. So I really think that they deserve it. He's led his team to a two and one start and they're at the top of their division, which is insane. They took it to the chargers, which we just talked about. He threw for 262 yards with three touchdowns. He threw two touchdowns against the Colts and one against the commanders. He only has one interception through three games and he's really impressing me to be honest. I am Super excited for him. I can't wait to see where this team goes, and I know that he's just going to take them on his back and continue to improve. I don't think that the first games he threw for 275, 235, 262 this season, I only see it going up from there. I think that his ceiling is very high, and I think that he could lead his team to the playoffs this year. Wild card, I would assume, but who knows? That division's wide open. That will be fun to watch. My next, uh, my next poppin' has to be uh, Jalen Waddle. Um, I think that the concerns of the general public of, of Buffalo really rang true in terms of his play level. He was a big part of that win against, you know, against Buffalo. I think that, but they should take good sauce and knowing they only have to play them likely one more time because that offense right now is so, so just incredibly good right now. I mean, he has a few yards better than Tyreek. But those two is a one-two combo wide receiver. They are both fantastic. You cannot miss with either of those. And Tua, I mean, he can he can now finally throw to two wide receivers who are incredibly capable. They are, they are really, really, really good. And while he only has a few more yards than his counterpart, I think that Waddle of the two of them has personally impressed me more. I think some of those catches he made, especially the one against the Ravens that sealed the deal, um, that was an impressive catch, and I think that his ability to make, you know, plays as strongly as he has, it, that makes the whole team a Super Bowl contender uh, with this start. <laughs> but I can assure you, almost none of us saw this coming, and none of us saw in any regard that two was a top five candidate for an MVP this early. No, it's crazy. And then obviously Tyreek's getting all this attention, and it leaves Jalen Waddle with one-on-one coverage or, or a you know, defensive back three, defensive back four. So, you know, he's really taking advantage of that matchup as he should and showing what he really can be. My last what's flopping is Justin Jefferson. What we saw from him in week one was 184 yards and two touchdowns. This is exactly what we expected for him. A lot of hype going into the season and he produced. Since then, he has a total of 62 yards in week two and three and has fantasy owners worried the Vikings fans, probably not as worried because Thielen's playing good. That's probably the same situation there with Justin Jefferson's the one. Everybody's worried about him. It gives Thielen some space to work on some of their not as talented defensive backs. But if I was a Vikings fan, I wouldn't be too worried yet. They're still 2-1, and one, and basically every team is at this point. There's still only two undefeated teams left, so... The whole NFL in general, I feel like, is absolutely wide open. But for sure, they want to see Justin Jefferson get back on track. And week four might be the time for him to get back on track against a struggling Saints team who has dropped the last two games. Yeah, so I have two more floppings going. So this one has, has got to be the Saints, man. In, in what was 
really primed or promised to be Jameis Winston's comeback season. I feel like we've said that for the last two or three years now. It was really supposed to be that. It was supposed to be the resurgence of the Saints. The, the Saints are supposed to be back. They're supposed to be strong and capable. Um, they're not really looking the part. <laughs> they they have hit the brakes very hard, like <laughs> astonishingly hard. A great first week win against the Falcons. I give you that. I will I will give you that. But the defense has looked nothing short of flat in the last two games. They have been so flat. The the Badger, where's he been? Where where has he been? It was I, I know that it's a different scheme and a different setup, but isn't the idea that you're it doesn't matter what scheme you fit in, you fit in? That no, that's that's a lie. It's a fallacy. He's not fitting in. It's it's not going right. The the D line has never looked as flat as it's been in years. I give Cam Jordan so much credit for being as skilled and capable as he was for these last few years. I don't think the Cam Jordan of old is really here to stay. I'm not I'm not saying that that can't change, but it just does not feel the same. It doesn't feel like he's you know kind of JJ Watt in it, giving quarterbacks big pressures. He's just not. They the next week is a look in the mirror game. They travel to London and play the second. Are are they as good as they they claim to be? And and can they pull it off against the Vikes? I don't know. I, I don't. This team does not have an identity. Kamara has not come out of his shell yet. I, I've only seen one Kamara game that looked compatible, and that was really the Falcon game. But I need to see something from them. They have the pieces, that's for sure. My final what's popping goes out to the team that has absolutely stunned me, the Miami Dolphins. They came back and beat the Ravens last week, and to prove that that wasn't a fluke, they took it to one of the most, if not most, complete teams in the league, the Bills. And, yes, the Bills had some injuries, several starters out on defense, but congrats to the Dolphins on getting to 3-0. That is not easy to do in the NFL as they are one of two teams still undefeated. The Tiger Kill trade obviously is looking like one of the best, if not the best, offseason moves, and Jalen Waddle is doing his thing like we've talked about. The defense held the Bills to 19 points and finished out the game strong, which left the Bills' offensive coordinator absolutely shook. There's a video of him throwing papers all over his desk, and you could see how upset he was after Isaiah McKenzie tried to get more yards instead of going out of bounds in the final seconds of the game. And that cost the Bills one final chance at a kick or a Hail Mary or something to to beat the Dolphins. And the Dolphins are just playing good football right now. It's hard to deny. I was unsure after the Ravens game. I thought it might be just a fluke game after coming back down 21 in the fourth quarter, but they have showed that they're here for real. And who knows, they could make a deep run in the playoffs this year. So I had two positives and three kind of downsides. Last downside is, is uh, Jimmy G for, for being Dan Orlovsky. <laughs> Jimmy G is Dan Orlovsky. No, he, he looked so bad against the Broncos. Um, nothing about that game told me this is, but he's got it in him. I felt it felt so stagnant. The Niners' offense um, that that start they had didn't help at all. Um, I, I and of all the games this week, I thought that game was the lamest of them. 
I don't feel the Broncos deserve that. I don't feel the Niners helped themselves much by the way that their offense played and their defense was just kind of doing their own thing in outer space. I, it was a it was a lame game. I had, I had very little interest, admittedly, in watching that game. Jimmy G pulling a Dan Orlovsky didn't didn't help much in my emphasis of watching that game because I didn't care. It was so boring. It was an 11-10 final, and it showed. <laughs> Did the Broncos have even won? If Jimmy G doesn't step up the line, the Niners probably win that game. I mean, it was a 1.11-10 game. That might as well be like a, a high-scoring baseball game. Well, when you run out the back of the end zone and – don't realize that you did it and try to keep playing, then, you know, you deserve to Finally, be Finally, yeah. we have some reprieve from the memes. And Dan Orlovsky can be released from being held hostage. Now Jimmy G can sit in that throne as well. And then now we can pat Jimmy G in the back as a lion fan and say, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. We're here if you need to talk. Maybe we can just trade for him and have him be our backup and step out of the line as a Lions player. Then we get embarrassed more, huh? I, I do have one thought about this, actually. Dan Orlowski stepped out of the back of the end zone and caused a safety and didn't even realize he did it. And Jimmy G did the same thing this weekend. So it is getting put all on social media. He's the new Dan Orlowski. But it's kind of tough for Dan, to be honest, because now he has to relive this so much. I know that somebody else is in there with him now. Jimmy G's in the same boat. But now he's seeing those videos 24-7. Otherwise, nobody would have brought it up for who knows how long. But now this week, that is all he is going to see and hear about. And it's kind of unfortunate for him. Truth be told, I thought the Dan Orlovsky thing would last longer. I thought we'd need another, you know, 15, 20 years until we see something this stupid. But, hey, big big golf claps for for, for Jimmy G for, for really, really amping his game up and really making that an interesting game, huh? One of the one of the less interesting games of the week, but somehow the Broncos have turned it around to get the two and one. But you kind of expect more from that Russell Wilson offense with all those weapons, and for them to score eleven points, I don't care who it's against. That's two of them. They 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 got straight yeah. at their hand. Two sure. of them came at the hands of of Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> was was it three field goals then? Did they score three I think field it goals? Was three field goals to pay somebody over two hundred million dollars. I mean, it's kind of disappointing. Thank you guys for joining us in another episode of the Sofa Sports Podcast. Me and Reed have plans to post a podcast every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. So please tune in. Till next time. 